Um, will you turn with me to the book of Numbers, please? The book of Numbers. While you're looking that up, we looked last week at Luke chapter 17, where the Lord talked about Lot leaving Sodom. And he says, remember Lot's wife and how she was turned to a pillar of salt. And we looked then at Genesis 19, where the angels came to take Lot, his wife, and his family out of Sodom. And they said, don't even dwell in the plain. Remember, we looked at the worldliness of Sodom the sin in Sodom, then the plains of Sodom would also be licked up, as it were, by the power of God and the wrath of God. And so we looked at how even there's a religious plane some people sit on as well, and the angel says, go higher up the mountain. And we looked at that and how Lot's wife lingered behind him, then looked back. She was either, some commentators think she was at least in the plane maybe, that she went, actually started going back. We're not 100% sure on it, but some commentators think that, and how she was turned to a pillar of salt. We've looked at different pillars in the Bible. Jacob's pillar stone, and that says the house of God, he said, that wonderful vision. We looked at Absalom, David's son's pillar, when he was caught up by that which he loved more, that was his hair and his pride, and darts were thrust through his heart by the enemy. And he had set a pillar up with his own name on it, not the name of the Lord on it. And we looked at that and then how God wants to make you a pillar in the church. He wants to make you a pillar that cannot be removed in his church. Now, we don't want to go any further into that because that's last week's. And it was keep going and don't look back. Numbers chapter 11. Verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Notice here the mixed multitude, it says in verse 4. Notice the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. These are non-Israelites. Remember Israel came out through the blood of the Lamb out of Egypt, blood on the doorposts and on the door lintels. Remember that? Well, it's here, it seems here that there were others who were non-Israelites who either, one, put blood on the doorposts and the door lintels by faith and hearing and came under the blessing of that promise. Because God wasn't looking if they were Israelites or not, but rather he was looking for the blood. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So these, this mixed multitude had come out with Israel or else they had maybe suffered. Their firstborn could have died and they've said, well, we're going with these people anyhow. And maybe it looked like that they were, as it were, following the God of Israel. But rather, maybe they weren't and went out anyhow. You see, always among God's people, you'll find the tares. 
you'll find the plant of the enemy to cause God's people to wane, to look back, and to go back in their faith. All the time. Because we think that, you know, well, everybody who claims the name of Christ is Christ. Not so. Or everyone that sits in a church pew or a church seat belongs to Christ. Not so. Christ knows them that are his. And you and I need to carry on in our faith, trusting in him, looking to him alone, and let him, as he says in the parables, until the Lord separates the tares from the wheat. Now notice this. The mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting. The ungodly among God's people. Notice the ungodly in your fellowship. The ungodly in your company will always show their heart after a way. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can hide, people can cover up, and even as it was said earlier in the spirit, this people honoreth me with their lips, and their heart is far from me. So after a while, the Lord starts to show the difference. Here, the mixed multitude among God's people start to fall lusting. But notice how it it affects God's people. This is important for you. Notice how it affects God's people. Verse 4 again. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again. What do they mean they wept again? Well, they're only out through the Red Sea and they start weeping and murmuring. Isn't that right? And once they get them settled for a while, the mixed multitude among them, their heart starts to show and Israel start to be infected. Infected, like an infection in their spirit. You see, they're walking in faith. They're walking in faith. Who's going to feed me today? But that's all right. Who's going to feed me tomorrow? God said, I will send mama. In other words, when you go to bed at night, while you're sleeping, Israel, as it were, the ovens of heaven are baking. (laughs) The heavenly bakers are at work, as it were, saying reverently. But you must rest in faith knowing that I'm at work, God says. That got sink into your ears. Christian, you must rest in faith that your heavenly Father is at work. Even when you don't know how it's going to happen. And every morning they get up. It happened just as the Lord had said. There was manna 
on the ground. They lifted it for one day. Remember they couldn't lift it for two days or else it would rot. They lifted it for one day. That night they had to go to bed again. Look, they have wee children. What about my children? Who's going to feed my children? Here's another thing. What about our livestock? What if something happens to our livestock? So they had to go to bed again. Trusting in the Lord that he was still at work. So when you can't see it, and you can't see a way out of it, and you can't see through it, understand it's not resting on you. It's all resting on him. Lord, I'm leaving all of this in your care. In your care. So that while I can't see a way to figure this out nor work it out, you are going to do it for me. Notice this now. It says in verse 4, Israel also wept again. Shows you how our faith can wane and rise and wane and rise, doesn't it? It shows you how God's people are up one day and can be down the next. Have great faith one day and a lesser faith the next. But nevertheless, it's how you and I change is how we look at ourselves. But it's not up to us in our changing. It's like the hymn writer says, I change, he changeth not. It's understanding the immutability of God. The immutability of God that he does not change. That he is the unchanging one. So they wept again. And look at what they said. Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now they're moving on. What about God's provision? And sometimes we feel we want something else other than where God has places right at this moment. And you know, whatever God has for you, brother, whatever God has for you, sister, It's the time of patience that we need for him to bring it to pass. And you live according to the last command that he gave you. You collect the man and leave the rest to me. I'll feed you, I'll lead you, and I will guide you. Notice what it says here. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again. And said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Here's what I have written. Three words. Mind your company. Mind your company. See, if you're always running around with negative people, guess what? You'll be negative. See, if you're always running around with people who are ungodly, guess what will happen? You'll become ungodly. You'll become polluted like a river with the mud flowing off the banks. That's how. Now, we have to work. We have to live among them. I'm talking about fellowshipping outside of that. If you hang around with people who are angry, who are bitter, who are nasty, who are vile, who are all of that. It it infects you and affects you and causes you to be just like them or it brings you down to a place where, you see, you have looked back 
rather than keeping your eyes on the Lord and going on. Mind your company. But if you hang around with those who are lovely, pure in the sense that they want more of God, a heart that's a decent heart, that will infect you too. Notice, James 4 and verse 4, he says, Friend, he says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So now there's that which you look back. Why? Because Israel started looking back to Egypt. I started looking back to that which God had delivered them from. Listen, see, whenever I got saved, and I'm not going to go through the whole, you know where I got saved from, you know the whole, the addiction, all that sort of stuff. See, when I got saved, from the night I got saved, and I'm, and I'm saying it in the grace of God, two things. One, I didn't need people to tell me you don't live like that anymore. You know why? Holy Ghost told me. My life had changed. My desires had changed. My will had changed. My wants had changed. I didn't need people to tell me I don't go and sit in those shebeens anymore full of drugs. My mouth changed. The sewer pipe mouth. Swearing like a trooper. Changed. I didn't need people to tell me I don't go and sit in the pubs. I didn't need people to tell me that I don't put alcohol in my lips. See, I was delivered from Egypt. Delivered from it. How? Through the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ. And the thing is, they started looking back. Now the devil would have you to go back again. Keep going and don't look back. Notice this. James says, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to offend anyone. I'm not trying to offend any other assemblies or churches. But there are churches who are telling people, well, it's all right. Let's go and sit in a pub and be like them. Isn't that true? But the Bible says, and it's New Testament, if you're friends with the world and being like them and getting on like them and living like them, he says, you're an enemy of God. Hope there's no enemies of God in here this morning. Notice, Numbers 11, verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Oh, do you remember that fish? You know? The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Oh, do you remember that? You see, that's called nostalgia. Now, nostalgia can be good in a sense. And nostalgia can be dangerous undeceptive. 
for example, we must be aware of the romantic remembrance of nostalgia. For example, the, the word nostalgia was coined in 1688. That's the word. Obviously, it was always around. But the idea of it, the word of it, was coined in 1688 by a Swiss medical student called Johannes Hoffer. And it was taken from two words, which is nostos, which is homecoming, and algos, which means uh, pain or agony. And it was coined at that time because the Swiss mercenary soldiers were out fighting in what was known as the lowlands and then in foreign fields. And the Swiss mercenary soldiers sitting then used to sit and sing the folk songs from Switzerland. And there's nothing wrong because we think of the Ulster Scots and the Appalachian Mountains and the hills of Kentucky and, you know, you get the hillbillies over there, you know, in America. And hillbilly comes from the term where uh, King Williamite uh, uh, followers went, whenever they the went over to the, uh, the, the east coast of America and they went across the Carolinas and up all around that area, they sat in the hills and that their descendants had as they sat in the hills and they sang the songs, the folk songs from back home and they were called Billy Boys up in the hills of the Appalachians and hills of Kentucky and so on. And so they became known as the hillbillies. And that's where the hillbillies come from. Okay? So they're singing folk songs and they're thinking of home, but the difference was here, Johannes Hoffer realized that this was coined because these Swiss mercenary soldiers were singing and looking back and their heart was starting to this homecoming agony, nostos, algos, or nostalgia of what was at home, the things they had at home. And look, there's nothing wrong with that, but the difference was their mind was then taken so much off the battle. Their mind was taken so much off the fight. They started to lose the war. You know what happened? There was actually a bill passed that they weren't allowed to sing the songs until they got home. The army, the Swiss mercenary army, were not allowed to sing these songs until they got home. Now, the thing with nostalgia is it's always been there. Turn with me to Psalm 137. And we can see how in Numbers 11, it's in a, if you want, a bad sense They're looking to uh, Egypt where the Lord had delivered them from. They're looking to Egypt for the the lusts of Egypt and the loves of Egypt and their likes in Egypt. But here it is in a good sense. Psalm 137 verse 1. This is the house of Judah. The Jews are taken into Babylon. They're captive by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yea, we wept. When we remembered Zion... They cried for the things of God. For that which they had even disregarded in the past. And because of their sin, they're now in captivity. But now they're remembering God. So there's a good nostalgia for those who have walked away from God. Fallen away from God. They can start to remember. You see, brother, sister, maybe you have a loved one. I have a loved one. And maybe you have a loved one who is backslidden. 
away from the Lord. You keep praying for them. I'll tell you why. At some point, the Lord will bring Zion to their remembrance. And God will bring the word that was sown into their hearts that they will remember. And even if you want to call it nostalgia, it's, it's more than that. But if you want to call it nostalgia, that they will start to feel that desire, that love, that will, and that want to come back into Zion. To come back unto Christ. Notice, we hang our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they, there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they wasted us, uh, that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing unto us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. It's not strong, isn't it? Then, Lord, see if I forget you. And, I, and this yearning leaves me. Oh, I'm, not in, I'm not at Jerusalem yet. I'm not at Zion. I haven't come home to family, friends, and the Christ yet. I'm still the prodigal. Then, Lord, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. In other words, you pray, Lord, cause them to look to you. I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. I want to have the things of Christ above the chief joy that I hold dear. The chief lust that I have held on to. The chief sins that I have, uh, that I have done. Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it even to the foundations thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art thou to be destroyed? Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. In other words, Lord, Destroy the wicked around me and set me free. Lord, see our loved ones this morning. We just lift them to you in prayer. And we ask you, Father, that you would destroy the hands of the, the wicked one this morning. Lord, that you would set them free from their captivity. Lord, that you would cause a stirring in their hearts, Lord, that they would turn back to the living God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they may turn to the Lamb of God. And oh, Father, we pray that the yearning, the desire would come into their hearts and their minds, even right now, wherever they are, whatever they're doing, Lord. Lord, that the devil, Lord, would be, uh, Lord, destroyed from around them. And oh, God, that they would have a yearning to come home. And Lord, that have a yearning to come to Zion. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. Notice this. In Numbers 11, they had a nostalgic episode. We remember the fish that we had freely. Do you remember that, fellas? Remember the good times we had in the world? Do you remember the good times we had in the pub? Do you remember the good times we had? Or whatever it may be, these things cause us to have nostalgia. And it can draw us a song. A song can bring you 30 years back, or maybe you weren't even born then, but a song can bring you so many years back. Oh, it's all fluffy and hearts and flowers, and wasn't it great? But here's something that Israel needed to, uh, just to lay hold on, on, of that, on this. They say we remember, but do they remember just the good? And forget the hard and the bad. In Exodus chapter 3, and you can read it when you go home, 
Listen to what the Lord said, looking at Israel and Egypt. I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Did they forget the affliction? Notice what he says in verse 9, Exodus 3 and 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. The cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, says the Lord. Notice. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Did they forget that? See, nostalgia causes you to forget those things. I have something to tell those who are thinking of going back into the world. There's nothing out there but the heartache you left, the destruction you were delivered from, the bondage you were freed out of. We tend to forget the hard times. We tend to forget the empty pocket, brother, isn't that right? We tend to forget the headache, the sick, the vomiting. We tend to forget the room spinning. Many a time you stuck your leg out of the bed to try and study the bed. Isn't that right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Tend to forget the dangers you were in. You didn't even know it. Tend to forget the places you were. The devil had you. The enemy grabbed you. Sin had rife in you. Tend to forget those things. But we remember the good ones. That's the danger of nostalgia. The human mind takes the easy escapism. Takes the route from current difficulties and problems. And we just remember the good old days of the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Think carefully. Act wisely. Keep going. And don't look back. When they came out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, little did they know if they had have walked in obedience, they had a short journey to the promised land. But guess what? Their disobedience hindered them and they kept walking in a wilderness for 40 years. Learn to obey the word. Learn to obey the word of God. In Numbers 11 and verse 6, they said, but now our soul is dried away. No, it hadn't. No, it hadn't. There is nothing at all but this manna before our eyes. Now, here's what I've written. I said earlier, think carefully. Now, listen carefully. A complaining heart romanticizes the past, but it also exaggerates the problems of the present. I'm going to say it again. A complaining heart romanticizes the past, but it also exaggerates the problems of the present. 
In other words, whatever you're feeling, however you are, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever the trouble, the depth, the brevity of it, remember, you must rest in God and let him work it out. Keep your eyes upward, not downward. Because your present reality, or if you want, your present problem, will be exaggerated every time nostalgia takes you to where you thought you'd like to be. Remember the good times? Do you know what happens in the good times? Oh, the good times were great. I don't think we'd ever any problems. And sure, it was life was carefree. No, it wasn't. That's nostalgia taking you there. That you feel that. And so what is happening in this day, this morning, this time, this problem, this circumstance, it exaggerates it. You're never going to get through this, out of it, and you're forgetting the God who tells you to collect manna on one day. Go feed your children, go to bed, and I'll do the same tomorrow. You're forgetting him. You know what we're doing? We're looking back. Keep going, brother, sister, and don't look back. It's a little point I want to look at, and then I'm going to finish. And it's a little thing called psychological projection. Who's ever heard of psychological projection? Just a couple. Well, it's what the world calls it, it, but I want to show you what the scriptures call it. Psychological projection is a theory which humans defend themselves against their own unpleasant impulses. They do it by denying their existence, that is the impulse's existence, while attributing them to others. Let me simplify it as best I can. A person who is always saying, that whole lot of people are rude. Guess what? It's them that are rude. And it's a psychological reflection. Throws it on everybody else. Oh, I, you know, nobody wants to befriend me. No, the thing is, when it's such in a way, psychological uh, reflection is they reflect it from themselves as who they are inside and they reflect it on the people. In other words, they don't want to own who they are because once you own who you are, it must be dealt with. Does that make sense? That's not... Because there's a fancy name put on it doesn't mean to say it hasn't always been. Let me give you, let me give you an example. In... Let's not look at it because time's flat on, but you can read it when you go home. In, in John uh, chapter 12, do you remember the woman comes and she anoints the Lord and Judas Iscariot says, this, what's this waste? This uh, oil could have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. This is not that he cared for the poor. He's the one who had the bag. Remember that? And then with that, by, the time you, by the time you go on into John's gospel and, uh, you know, uh, pardon me, and it, 12 and 13, chapter 12 and 13. And by the time you go to Matthew 27, we're told that he's receiving money. He's the one who receives the money of the high priests. Remember to betray the Lord Jesus. We well, see what he was doing was 
psychological reflection. It says he was a thief, his father was the devil. Not what Jesus said. And what he was doing was he was reflecting who he was onto them. So someone who's always saying to you, oh, money, 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 or someone's always saying, you're always after money, and they're always after money, or that man's always asking for money, or he's always looking for money, or she's always wanting money, and all they keep saying is money this, and blaming people for being money people. You know what happens? It's called psychological reflection. And guess who the one is that's really greedy for the money? The person saying it. The person saying it. And what they're doing is they're reflecting their heart onto you. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Don't look back at that. Why? Because it's a big clause to try and get you to look toward them. You know what you're doing? You're looking back. It holds you back. It hinders you. It damages your faith. It makes you doubt. So what do you do? Keep going and don't look back. Don't you own someone else's character. Let God shape your character to be conformed to the image of his son. Don't you own someone else's bitterness of heart. You know why? Because they're reflecting it onto you. What does it make you then? Better. You start believing the lies you're being told. It's called psychological reflection. One of the best ones of this, the best examples, is in Genesis chapter 3. And it's really called not owning your own sin. That's what it really is when it boils down to it. Not owning your own sin. Genesis chapter 3, we'll just read one verse. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have sinned. Adam has fallen. And verse 12, and the man said, so Adam says unto the Lord, right? The woman which thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. First thing after the fall, first thing after the sin, the death of Adam. What does it say? The woman that you give me, it's your fault. You're not enough, Jesus. I want onions and leeks and garlic and cucumber and fish. In fact, it's her fault now. Sure, between you, it's nothing to do with me. Look at, look at these people. Look who they are. Psychological reflection, as they call it today. You know what it's called? Your sin reflecting on the others. It's been in the Bible from the beginning. So, they blame shift to Moses. When you go home, read Numbers 14. That's when he sends the spies in and two come with a good report and the rest give a bad report. And the people are annoyed and it says they turn on Moses. It's your fault, Moses. It's blame shifting. So in Numbers 11, let's round this up. I'm going to do one more morning on this. Keep going and don't look back because I want to talk about that um, any man who puts his hand to the plough and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. We'll talk on that next Sunday morning in the Lord's will. 
So in Numbers 11 and verse 6, their eyes looked back, their flesh desired, their hearts lusted, and when men looked back, God's provision is no longer enough for them. When flesh overrules the spirit, Christ is no more their life and their soul's love and their eyes' constant view. Christ, this is what I've written. Christ is not a substitute for worldliness. What do I mean? You're not saying, well, I'm in Christ, but live how I like. Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I'm under the blood, but I can live how I like. Christ is not a substitute for worldliness. Christ is the substitute for sinners in the world. Those who are saved by his grace, washed in their blood, and Christ does not save them in their sin, but he saves you from your sin. From it. Takes you from that life. So, to whom else would we go, said Peter? Nostalgia, psychological projection. Listen, Winston Churchill once said, see if I can remember the quote right. You will never reach your destination if you stop at every dog that barks at you in the street. We're getting a dog comes out. You don't really see them too much now. When I was growing up, there was dogs running out of every, every gateway at you. And you're sort of, oh, there's that dog again, you know, and there's the other dog, and you were looking for it, and you're coming up. There's one wee Jack Russell who used to run out of this gateway where I lived. And he just, he was a vicious wee thing, you know. And I used to look up over his head to see if he was in the garden. If he was, I said, oh, no, here we go again. I remember my brother was with me once. He was, I'm sick of that dog. I'm sick of that dog. This is after a long, long time. So he, t- <laughs> he turned around to me, think him flam up, and he went, boom. But the thing caught his toe in its mouth. <laughs> and they're tough wee dogs. Like, it would not let go of his feet. Punctured his shoes and everything, you know. That was the last time he tried that with a dog. But anyhow, you keep looking back at this. Listen, it's not only sin. It's not only the world. People, everything in your life, whatever it is in your life that would hinder you from keeping your eyes on Jesus, from keeping you from going on with God, from hindering you in your walk with him, don't look back. It doesn't matter. Look, people who come out of the woodwork from your past, people who come out and say this, that, or the other, you keep your eyes on the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you because you're still at work. Go on in God, brother. Go on in God, sister. Keep going. Don't look back. Bless us this morning.